Yes, you'll be glad to know that I'm not going to read all 12 chapters out. <laughs> and uh, Ian selected three choice mor morsels for us to consider tonight. So first of all, Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20 to 25, which can be found on page 1067 of our church Bibles. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks who acquit the guilty for a bribe, but deny justice to the innocent. Therefore, as tongues of fire lick up straw, and as dry grass sinks down in the flames, so their roots will decay, and their flowers blow away like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord Almighty, and spurned the word of the, the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, the Lord's anger burns against his people. His hand is raised and he strikes them down. The mountains shake and the dead bodies are like refuse in the street. Yet, all this, yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. And now we move on to Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 9 which can be found on page 1076. The branch from Jesse. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will pit, play near the, the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And now Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 to 6, 
which can be found on page 1078. In that day, you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. And proclaim that his name is extolled. Sing to the Lord, for he has done great glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Martin, for reading, and let me add my welcome to St. John's um, this evening, especially if you're new or visiting. Um, if you've got a Bible near, it might be helpful to have that open. Uh, uh, Martin gave you all the page numbers there. I plan to refer to the passage as during the talk, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the riches of your word, which you've caused to be written down to instruct us. Thank you that we've got the freedom to study it and to hear from you tonight. Teach us about your character and your nature this evening, we pray. Inform us about your judgment on all sin and rebellion against you, but also about the sure and certain hope which you've set before each one who will trust in your Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, the title of this evening's talk is Messages of Judgment and Hope. And as uh, uh, Mike said already, we're beginning this new series in the book of Isaiah, and it falls to me, therefore, to uh, give you a very high-level overview of Isaiah before we delve into our passage. Um, we, as Mike, Mike has already mentioned, we're looking at long passages, and I'm not going to be going verse by verse. You'll be relieved to learn. It's overview mode rather than verse by verse. Um, Probably uh, just as well that we're doing the overview mode as it's 66 chapters, and I counted up that it's 1,288 verses, so verse by verse would take us quite some time. Um, let me suggest some of the major themes first that run through the book and comment briefly on these, and then I'm going to outline how the book is structured so we know where we are now and what's coming up in future talks, and then I'm going to look at our passage, uh, just the first 12 chapters, uh, mostly by focusing on these shorter passages, which Martin very kindly read for us. And finally, I'm going to conclude by focusing on themes of judgment and hope and how we should be thinking about those today, trying to bring them right up to the present in the light of what Isaiah has shared with us. So, okay, let's get into the major themes in Isaiah. Um, in a book as complex and as rich as Isaiah, there are lots of themes. Uh, I've just chosen five of what I believe to be the most important themes in the book. Um, that's so that we're sensitive to what the prophet is telling us 
and we tie up the teaching as it runs through, as it threads through the book. We can pick out that theme and see how it's developing. Uh, hopefully, we'll learn more about God as we do this. So here are the five themes. Firstly, we've got God, his nature, and his character. Secondly, sin. Thirdly, salvation. Fourthly, servanthood. And finally, the fifth theme that I've picked out, major theme, is the Messiah. So in these chapters, we learn a lot about the nature and the character of God as we see him rooting out and judging the sin of the people everywhere. He not only judges the sin of the nations around Israel, the, the pagans, the outsiders, but he also points out and judges the sin of his own people. That theme of sin runs through these chapters that we're looking at today, these first 12 chapters, as we see the prophet calling out how the various individuals are sinning. He's pretty specific about the sins which God hates and which God is judging. In addition to judgment, these chapters include verses where the Lord holds out the promise of salvation to both his people and also, importantly, to the nations. Uh, look out for these as it's important to spot them and to understand their significance as we work through Isaiah. As I mentioned, a major theme of the book is servanthood as well. Uh, that's the way that God's people serve him, and that's very carefully examined by Isaiah as we go through the book. The king of Judah, the leader of the southern kingdom, is particularly under the microscope uh, in these chapters, and there's a particular passage in, in chapter 7 uh, where he comes right under that microscope. He's challenged. Um, I don't think I'm giving much away by mentioning that, unfortunately, Ahaz, King Ahaz does not come out very well in this, in this passage. Uh, and yet contrast that with the servanthood of the branch that we heard about as, as Martin was reading chapter 11. There's a fantastic picture of victory and servanthood and successful servanthood from the branch, from the stump of Jesse. And uh, finally, God's Messiah, his anointed king, that is definitely a major theme of Isaiah, particularly the later chapters. I'm going to let people who come after me in the evening services uh, talk about that. So, what kind of book are we dealing with? And this is arguably, it's a masterpiece of both uh, theology as well as literature. Uh, it's a masterpiece of literature for many reasons, perhaps most significantly the poetic cadences and its gripping imagery. It's really striking as you read through it. It's a masterpiece of theology because it contains virtually the whole of biblical theology in these 66 chapters, from God's transcendence through the creation, redemption, and on to the final destiny of the universe. Everything is covered in these 66 chapters of Isaiah. And if it sounds like I'm building Isaiah up, that's correct. I'm building Isaiah up. It's a truly amazing book, and it's well worth detailed study by everyone. So, okay, let's look at the structure the structure of Isaiah. I'm going to propose five major sections. Oops, sorry, I'm behind here. The structure. I'm going to propose five major sections um, uh, of the book. Firstly, the introduction, where the problem of servanthood is outlined. That's in chapters 1 to 5. Secondly, Isaiah's commission. That's chapter 6. Thirdly, a major section on trust and the basis of servanthood. And that's chapters 7 through to 39, so full, almost half the book is on this trust, the basis of servanthood. A fourth section, a section on grace, 
which is the motive and the means of servanthood, and that is covered in chapters 40 to 55. And finally, the fifth section, a section on righteousness, which is the character of servanthood, and that's chapters 56 to the end, chapter 66. Okay, so with the major sections of the whole book in mind, let's take a brief look at the historical background, which is important to understand as we read about the various individuals and the nations mentioned. So here we have a map of the ancient Near East around the time of Isaiah. And just so that you can get your bearings, if I can hold my hand steady enough, Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom, is just here, down in the far left-hand corner in the brown area. Uh, and just north of Jerusalem is Samaria. So you'll see Samaria there. It's just a little bit north of Jerusalem. That's the northern kingdom. Uh, and that's uh, sometimes called Israel or sometimes called Ephraim. He, ring, he rings the changes on the name. So as you're reading through Isaiah, watch that. Uh, further north still is Aram up here. And its capital is Damascus. And that's um, uh, a kingdom further north. And still further north again, in the pink color, you've got the budding kingdom of Assyria with its capital Nineveh. So this sort of purpley pink area here. There's Nineveh. And there's Assyria, and that's the capital of, of Assyria. Um, so the situation around the time of our passage is very complicated in that Ahaz is king of Judah, and he's under pressure. Israel, Ephraim, and Aram, so the kingdom immediately to the north and one further north, have formed an alliance against the Assyrians, the, the very northern guys, and they're pressurizing Ahaz to join them. Otherwise, they're going to invade and take out Judah. So Ahaz has refused, and instead he's gone round about them, and he's approached the king of Assyria to get his help. And you can read all about all of this in 2 Kings chapter 16. So in the midst of all this politicking and high politics of all the different nations, Isaiah is commissioned by the Lord to prophesy to Judah and its king Ahaz, calling them to repent of their sin, and instead to trust the Lord for deliverance. That's the political background here. Okay, so let's work through these uh, 12 chapters at a very high level. Um, chapter 1 to 5 outline, chapters 1 to 5 outline the judgment of God on Israel and Ephraim and on Judah. Now, these people are supposed to be God's chosen people, following his laws and reflecting his character. And instead, Isaiah highlights their rebellion their disobedience, their evil deeds, the injustice, etc. Our passage towards the end of chapter 5 that Martin read was pretty, pretty uh, unpleasant, wasn't it? It was a, it was a really nasty piece of, uh, of writing about people who are not obedient. And it gives a flavor of the problems in God's chosen people. This is written to God's chosen people. They're calling what is evil good, and what is good evil. Fake news has been taken to the extreme so that truth is being spoken of as lies and lies are held out as truth. They're proud. They're, that is, they're wise in their own eyes and they're clever in their own sight. They're proud of their prowess at drinking and instead of obedience to the Lord. Justice has gone out of the window and instead they're keen to take bribes. The innocent are denied justice. And God's word is being rejected and spurned. And the result of all of this is judgment. And the picture which Isaiah shares in this passage is very graphic, isn't it? Mountains shake, 
and the dead bodies are piled up in the streets like rubbish. And all this is from God as he judges their sin and holds them to account. It's very graphic, isn't it? It's very disturbing. It's hard to take in as we hear about God's anger at sin and all its manifestations. This theme of judgment runs through much of Isaiah. Uh, It is on both the surrounding nations and also on Israel itself. And it's clear that the Lord God will not allow sin to go unpunished. He will deal with it clearly and decisively. The root causes of judgment are rebellion against God, refusal to recognize God's nature and his character, pride, and injustice. And the results of God's judgment are God's anger, the destruction of the natural environment, and also war and loss of life. I don't know about you, but all of this has a very contemporary ring to it. Injustice abroad and also at home is something that we actually experience very often, isn't it? Just think, 176 victims of a Ukrainian aircraft accident following a missile attack was a mistake, and 176 people lost their lives. What about Harry Dunn? Anybody know Harry Dunn? Harry Dunn was killed because... Somebody collided with him and the vehicle was going the wrong side of the road and he he died. And, of course, Mrs. Anne Sekoulas has gone back to the United States and has claimed diplomatic immunity. She's the wife of an American serviceman. There's discussions about the justice of all of that. Think about the murder of Kasim Soleimani and how his wife and how his family might be feeling at the moment about that. I'm afraid... It's, it's, it's everywhere, isn't it? We're surrounded by injustice. Think also about pride. Uh, we just had an election. Think about the campaigning in the recent election. Think about the promises made by the politicians and by the candidates. How many of these promises are going to be impossible to honor? How many of these prideful boasts by politicians are going to come back and haunt them at some point in the future? Closer to home, what about our own fellowship? Think about disagreements and arguments that sometimes take place amongst ourselves. Think about niggling disputes, perhaps inappropriate criticisms, lack of forgivenesses, or wanting to nurse grievances. Again, it all sounds very contemporary, doesn't it? It sounds relevant. And in the midst of of these verses on judgment, in the first five chapters, there is hope. In, in chapter 2, there's, there's five verses in chapter 2 and five verses in chapter 4. In chapter 2, we read of the nations coming to the temple of God, the God of Jacob, and swords and spears being turned into plowshares and pruning hooks. And the five, five verses buried in chapter 4 there, we read about the branch of the Lord coming from the survivors in Israel. All those who survive will be cleansed, and there will be shelter and shade from the Lord. Okay, let's look back at the structure and see where we are. Uh, Next, we have chapter 6, which recalls Isaiah's commission. 
Isaiah sees the Lord in all his holiness and glory and responds in personal but also in corporate repentance, repentance for his people. God cleanses him by touching his mouth with the burning coal from the altar and he atones for his sin. And then there's the question from God. God's question is, whom shall I send? Isaiah volunteers and so he's commissioned to deliver this tough an enduring message of judgment to the people of Judah. And if we in, in comfortable 21st century England feel uncomfortable listening to Isaiah's words, imagine how the original hearers would have felt. All those superpowers, the very far northern one and the northern one and the next northern one are all jockeying for position and there's this tiny Judah down below. Imagine how you'd feel if a superpower is maneuvering and, and the armies are threatening at the borders. They're poised to bring about all those scenes which Isaiah has been painting. So in chapters 7 to 10, Isaiah is sent to challenge Ahaz, Judah's king, to trust in the Lord God and to avoid these alliances with men. So trust God only and don't try and politic with the superpowers. Unfortunately, Ahaz flunks that challenge, and he refuses to ask God for a sign. And in the face of this failure, the Lord God, through Isaiah's prophecy in chapters 10 to 12, unveils the hope which he holds out to the remnant in Judah. It's clear that Judah will be overwhelmed, and Isaiah goes so far under the instruction of the Lord to make this clear by naming his sons, and he calls his sons his first son he calls Shir Jashub, which means a remnant shall return. And the second son has the name, uh, glories in the name of Maher Shalal Hashbaz, which means quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. It's pretty clear what, what these names are about. Why is he calling his children these names? It's to bring things to the mind of the people and Ahaz. Uh, I can imagine the boys probably took a bit of ribbing at the playground about then, but anyway. But the point here is that there is hope uh, for those who trust in the Lord God. A remnant will be saved, as we saw from our second reading. So let's move to hope. This hope will apply to the remnant of Israel who rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Despite the destruction, the remnant will return. And this hope also applies to those from the nations who will rely on the Lord. This remnant will be led by the child who will be born of a virgin, and that's following the sign that Isaiah gives to Ahaz in chapter 7. This remnant will be led by the branch that comes from Jesse, that is, in the line of King David as promised to him. The branch will be filled with the Holy Spirit who will rest upon him. And the branch will be filled with wisdom, understanding, might, and knowledge. The branch will judge with righteousness and justice. He will carry out God's judgment, God's fair and just judgment. He will restore peace and tranquility. He will retrieve and reunite God's true people. And he will call the nations 
to join with God's people. Yet more, he will turn away God's anger and he will bring salvation and comfort. And all of this will result in praise to God and proclamation of God's name among the nations. In response, God's people will sing for joy at his greatness. I'm not sure if you've twigged, but of course the branch is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he's the one who accomplished all these things and who calls people everywhere into relationship with the living God. He's the one who, by offering his own self on the cross and suffering death for each one of us, turns away God's anger and opens the way for salvation and comfort. So now time for us to reflect. And as we do this, I think it's important for us to reflect personally on the implications of all of this for our, ourselves and our own lives. It's easy to judge those outside. It's easy to, to think about politicians, presidents, governments, regimes, etc., etc. It's much harder to take an honest look in the mirror and to examine ourselves critically. So now, let me ask each one of us, are we aware of God's judgment? Let's think through the reasons for God's judgment and ask ourselves whether any of these, to some extent, lesser extent, or even greater extent, might they apply to us. So I've just put a little table up there of, of a few that I've pulled out of Isaiah. Rebellion. Are any of us rebelling or rejecting God in some way? Could be ignoring his prompting to do something or refrain from doing something. Might be reading his word. Might be any number of minor or major actions or thoughts. Are we rebelling against God in any way? What about pride? Are we proud of ourselves and our skills, our possessions, our looks, our children, our education? Are we proud? What about rejecting God? Do we reject God and his word in any way whatsoever? What about trusting in things? Do we trust things rather than our creator? Do we trust our houses, our pensions, our cars, our relatives? Do we trust things rather than trusting the creator and giver of all things? Are we selfish, seeking to look after ourselves rather than serving God and others? What about careless? Are we careless? Not being careful to respect not just the letter of God's requirements, but also its spirit and its intention. Do we indulge in deceit in any way whatsoever? Those little white lies or just stretching the truth a bit? Are we perverse? That is to say, do we say that what is evil is good and what is good is evil in any way? What about injustice? Do we turn a blind eye to injustice? Do we fail to stick up for the poor and the persecuted, the weak, and those less capable than us? I don't know about you, but as I was thinking through these things, there are lots of areas of my life where I need, to, I need to recalibrate. I need to think more, and I need to be more faithful and, and true. 
lots of food for thought, lots of food for prayer, and maybe some room for repentance as well. Okay, let me switch gears, and instead of thinking about the Lord God's judgment, let's think about the hope which we have um, in the Lord Jesus. Are we confident as we trust in Jesus for salvation? Let's think through some of the characteristics of Jesus and think about how are we being conformed, are we becoming more and more conformed into the likeness of our Lord and our God. So let's think, do we choose what is right at all times? Maybe it's something we need to work at and be more deliberate about, perhaps despite the opinions of other people. Are we holy? And I don't mean holier than thou in this sense, but are we set apart for God, keeping ourselves pure and reserved to serve God and to do his will? Or maybe we're just one of the lads, one of the girls, and anything goes? What about humility? Are we humble? Do we genuinely consider others better than ourselves and live lives of humble service towards others? Do we love justice all the time? Not just when it suits our causes or opinions or when we feel hard done by, but do we love justice? Even are we prepared to stick up for justice, even when it costs us, when it's costly for us? Are we obedient to God at all times? Will we submit to him as the Lord and ruler of all aspects of our lives? And do we rely on the Lord God for all things? Do we, do we try and force things along in, in, in the way which we think is right? Or do we lean on God, the Lord God, and accept his timings and his decisions? Are we growing in knowledge continuously? Or have we plateaued maybe and we find that we're actually going backwards in our maturity and our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ? Are we continuing to grow? Do we seek peace? Are we by nature peacemakers? Or will we stir up dissension and discord? Do we tend to find ways to reconcile and bring together and build up? Or is it tempting to maybe do some gossip or perhaps criticize a little bit? And finally, do we rejoice in the Lord at all times? And are we faithful and constant in our proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord? Lots of food for thought there. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this great book of Isaiah and particularly for what it teaches us about your judgment and also the hope which we have in you, our Lord and our God. Show us those areas of our lives where we need to be more aware of your anger and judgment on our sin. Help us to see deep inside to our thoughts and attitudes and into our hearts. Change us from the inside so that we be, may be more and more like your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Please make us confident in the hope which we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to emulate his goodness and give us, through your Holy Spirit, the power to be like Jesus more and more each day, we pray. We ask this for the honor and glory of your name.
Amen.